Hello and welcome to Horatio and the Story of the Manor, a podcast by Andrew Davis. Episode 18, The Rise of the Evil Empire. Manor Rot's Grotten Snot hadn't really been itself, at least not since the incident. Quite what the incident was and when it happened, no one could remember. All people knew was, ever since then, things had been different, including, and maybe especially, the manor. Of course, if you live with different for long enough, it stops being different and becomes the new normal. But even so, manor rot, grot and snot still felt, still presented itself, and still was different. Externally, the manor no longer looked like a friendly country manor house, Instead, it had taken on the appearance of a rather nasty little castle. Outside, what should have been pleasant gardens had become miserable woodlands, threaded with dark, eerie pathways. There was the tree-lined drive at the front of the manor, but that went to the gates, and through those, no one from Rot, Grot and Snot could go. Only visitors, oblivious to the situation, were able to come and go at will. The gargoyles, of course, you know all about, Who ever heard of large, restless, hooved gargoyles on a manor? Oh, and the towers and turrets, as well as the fact that they like to rearrange themselves from time to time, it was a challenge to find out how they were connected to the manor. Some of them did seem to have entrances and exits, and these moved with their turrets, somehow fitting in with the layout of the manor as they shifted. However, others seemed to have no known entrance or exit, and remained a mystery. Then, of course, probably linked to the turrets, were the rooms and cupboards that came and went, sometimes even taking people with them, like Lady Pinchinthorpe and her maid Aiton. Because of this penchant for the turrets to move and rooms to appear and disappear, the manor also had a tendency to rearrange its internal layout. The things that remained unchanged included the front and back doors, along with the grand entrance hall at the front and the boot room and kitchen at the back, Additionally, several corridors with connections to the entrance hall or the kitchen had little choice but to remain in place. They assumed that the attic and the cellar also stayed in place, but as they were visited so infrequently, in truth they could be doing anything, although on the rare occasions people had visited them, they had tended to be at the top and the bottom of the manor respectively. The end result of all this variation was that you could be heading to a particular room only to find yourself in a different part of the manor, sometimes even ending up on a different floor, or simply unable to get where you'd hoped. This could be very frustrating, and it wasn't unusual for people to get quite lost. Everyone, that is, except Horatio, who seemed to know the exact way to go no matter how the manor reorganised itself, and even more quickly at mealtimes. I think it was the shadows that set people most on edge. Many thought it was an unholy thing that shadows could be independent. Some people felt so uneasy that they refused to go anywhere near the manor. You see, the shadows in the manor didn't see the point in playing the same game as all the other shadows outside, and so they didn't. Most disconcerting of all was when your own shadow got bored. This happened quite a lot in the manor and it soon became apparent that shadows don't have a particularly long attention span. So within a few moments of entering the manor, your shadow would wander off without you, leaving you with no shadow until you left the manor and it was forced to return to normal. Even if your shadow did come back before you left the manor, there was no guarantee it would act normally, and, more often than not, 
it would return with several other shadows, as shadows were both nosy and fickle, and hold a very animated silent shadow conversation. Sometimes there were even fights. What made this even creepier was that some people thought they could hear what the shadows were discussing, although, to be honest, I doubt it. After all, what would a shadow salt shaker have to talk about with a shadow pot plant, or a shadow baron with a shadow footstool? Two other things that marked the manor out as being particularly strange were the resetting every morning to a near pristine condition, regardless of how much mayhem and destruction Horatio Fleming McNaughty had caused, and the missing servants. There must have been lots of servants employed in the manor at one time, but now there were only Rosebury and Thornton, yet still the work always got done and no one was under any illusion that Thornton did any of it. But perhaps the most unsettling thing about the manor was the atmosphere. It wasn't particularly dark and dank, although certain places could definitely be described that way, and yet there was a feeling of oppression, maybe even malice. It hung heavy in the air, and at certain times felt more ominous than at others, always worse when a turret was on the move. All in all, the manor was a complex place where strange and inexplicable forces were at work, and it was the family seat of the Baron of Rot, Grot and Snot. There was a family crest above the front door that seemed to be a wolf-like beast and a very cross-looking deer or moose, it was hard to tell, either side of a rather gnarly dead-looking tree. These were set against a black background and surrounded by various medieval-looking weapons and torture implements. Thankfully, being black, it was hard to see and went mostly ignored. Even Ella Beck, who herself was little more than a ghost, wondered about the missing servants. For example, who started the vacuum cleaner every day at 11.05, leading to its frenzied destruction by Horatio? How did all the work get done at night, unnoticed and unheard? She tried to stay up and watched, but it seemed that watching didn't work as one moment she'd be waiting and the next she'd be rousing from some kind of slumber and the work would be done. And why did no one ever remember to lock the mutt in a room just before 11.05 so that it didn't have the freedom to cause mayhem and destruction? Like everyone else, Ella had learned to live with these questions, and many, many more, although not getting answers irritated her and nagged like an itch she couldn't scratch. On top of all this, as Full Moon approached, the enchantment of Manor Rot, Grot and Snot grew, Shadows became recalcitrant, and little eddies of dust and fluff whirled through corridors and rooms, appearing, then vanishing in a moment. Reaching a crescendo at the midnight hour on full moon, you could almost touch the menacing forces working unseen, but not unfelt, everywhere in the manor. What happened to them after a full moon, no one knew, but no doubt they collected and fermented in the places where nobody ventured to disturb them. So... In the deepest, darkest bowels of the manor, the cellar, the dank darkness thrived, powerfully brooding and infusing everything it touched. Quite when the change was first noted, as always in Rot Grottensnot, no one could remember, however, change had come. The shadow started to avoid the cellar. Spiders scurried to the furthest boundaries to escape the rise of evil. Mice stood on their hind legs, whiskers twitching as they tried to sense what was happening. The rise of the evil Salami Empire, the rampant Salamis, had begun. 
At first, the salami Rosebery had hung in the cellar just stayed hanging, only very slowly becoming resentful at being forgotten. At times it swayed a little in a breeze no ordinary person could have felt. Enshrouded in murky darkness, the manor's atmosphere infused the hanging meat. That said, there was some light from little windows at ground level around the cellar that had become semi-opaque from years of accumulated dirt. However, this dismal light just tended to make the cellar look even creepier. As the days turned to weeks and the weeks trudged on into months, so the forgotten salami started to become part of all that was happening in the manor. Once an outsider, and little more than a meal in waiting, it metamorphosized, oozing menace that had not been its own. After many months of being hung in the cellar, some of the salami sausages dropped to the ground. You might think that the string had rotted through, but you would be wrong. Mice ran to feast on the fatty meat, but instead of biting into the salami, the mice found themselves bitten into and scurried away to nurse their wounds. It started with a storm of teeth and uncontrollable biting rage. Like mindless animals, they bit and chewed each other, slaughtering one another, so only a few survived. But the menace had not finished with them. As the months dragged on, and more salamis dropped to join the devouring machines, so they transformed and morphed, almost as if an unseen hand was moulding them into something new. For as the killing machines that the first salami had been were killed themselves, so the ones that ate them divided like cells under a microscope, and new salamis emerged. And as each new generation emerged, splitting out of the previous generation, so the teeth were eventually joined by various numbers of arms and legs. Short-lived, multiplying generations of salamis descended ever more into their pit of depravity. Countless thousands came and went in uncivilised, murderous carnage. Quite how time passed in the cellar compared to the rest of the manor, I'm not sure, for while only a little time seemed to tick by above, generations of salamis came and went down below. Civilizations rose and fell, waxed and waned, until the most tyrannical of all their leaders that had ever come before her rose to rule them all, Saleronicus the Destroyer. Her badge, because all living things in Rotgrottensnot eventually have their own badge at full moon, read RGS Destroyer. The suffering under Saleronicus was terrible. Spiders were worked to death, being forced to spin delicate and beautiful clothes for her, and fed almost nothing. Enslaved mice and normal rats pulled her carriage and chariots. Woodlice were hunted nearly to extinction, as delicacies for the ruling classes. Wine bottles were beheaded, and their contents fed to her soldiers and scouts. Afterwards, the empty, zombie-like bottles were forced to lead the salami troops into battle, with little or no protection, until they were smashed to smithereens. There had, albeit briefly, been an empire of wine bottles in the cellar, altogether different to the salami. Their downfall was their slow rate of reproduction and their fragility. Quite how wine bottles managed to reproduce at all was quite a mystery, and obviously something that could only happen in manner rot, grot and snot. However, eventually, they too became overrun and enslaved by the rampant salamis, who came to rule over everything in the cellar. Thanks for listening to Horatio and the Story of the Manor, a tale-to-tell media production. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to leave a review. You can do this on the app you're listening through or head over to iTunes and leave it there. A five-star review helps other people find the show. For social media links, support the show, or to get in touch, visit the website, horatio.one. Until next time, I'm Andrew Davis. Horatio.one.